And today I have the honor and privilege in continuing in our I Am Sermon Series. How many are grateful that we have the I Am Sermon Series learning about not just what Jesus gives, but who Jesus is, right? We need to start off with the foundation of who he is. And week one, PK preached a brilliant message on I Am the Light of the World from John chapter eight. I don't know if you've remembered that sermon, but he had this little gadget right here, a little light headlamp, right? I was gonna do that, but I didn't know how to work it, so... But week one, he talked about, I'm the light of the world. And his points were that blind legalism kills, but Jesus gives light and life. He also mentioned how C.S. Lewis said that I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. He talked about the woman that was caught in adultery would have been stoned to death without the light of Jesus's words. His second point was that blind carnality destroys, but Jesus guards and guides. How many are thankful that we have a God and a Savior that not only guards, but he also guides us in this life? His third point was that blind traditions bind us to the past, but Jesus delivers our destiny. Then we move on to John chapter 9, and in John chapter 9, Jesus heals the blind man and restores his sight. And How many know that Jesus had some haters in his day called the Pharisees? Little side note that if Jesus had people that hate him for his walk and his faith, you're going to have some people that don't like you. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We'll talk about it in a minute. But Pharisees are, the Pharisees are questioning this man about Jesus, trying to trap Jesus into something. And the, the blind man has a real life testimony that says, listen, I don't know anything about your religion. I just know of a man who healed me because I was blind and now I see. I think as a church today, we need to get back to those real life testimonies. We need to drop all the religious things, right? I just want real life testimonies again. Real life transformation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Then Jesus has a moment with the Pharisees where he combats their religious spirit and talks on the importance of not being spiritually blind. Week two, Pastor Ken preached on, I am the gate in John chapter 10. And how thieves steal from you often without your knowledge and robbers confront you, break you down, punish you, and then steal your goods. And how gates are important places in the Bible where decisions were made and deals were witnessed. And his points that day were, Number one, submit your whole selves to God and there you will find your strength. And if we're able to do that, then point number two is that we can resist the devil and the power of God's might and the enemy has no power and will flee. The big takeaways last week were these two questions. Where has the enemy been stealing, killing, or destroying you in your own life? And what area have you left exposed, or uncovered. Week three, I have the privilege of talking about how Jesus is the good shepherd. Everybody say shepherd. Shepherd. Let's try one more time. Everybody say shepherd. Shepherd. We'll get there. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Today, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, we are so grateful and honored that we get to partner with you Holy Spirit, I pray today is you have an agenda that our agenda would not trump yours. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would open eyes, ears, hearts, and minds 
to the word that's coming forth. God, I pray that I would get out of the way and that you would have your agenda here in this room for this house in this moment. God, we don't meet in vain. God, we want life transformation today. We want life transformation. Holy Spirit, I pray you will be evident in the room today, whether in person or online. We thank you for what you're gonna do in our moments together. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen, amen. Well, no matter how many times I've preached or traveled, now that I have a son, I show him off as much as I can. Y'all wanna see another picture of my kid? Let's put another picture up. This is Xander. And um, this is, uh, we were in Naples, Florida, and he's wearing a Hurley shirt. And I posted on Instagram because I was trying to get sponsored, you know. <laughs> Salvation is free, ministry is not. Amen. So I was trying to get a sponsorship for Hurley. Just kidding, that was a joke. But um, me and my wife last year went to Naples, Florida. Anybody ever been to Florida? How many has never been to Florida? Okay, if you haven't, we'll take a mission trip there this year. Well, we went to Naples, Florida, and we have some friends, very close friends of ours named Christian and Brooke, and he was in my wedding. We were roommates in college. We're also the godparents to his son, Kairos, who's two years old, and him and Xander are about eight months apart. Now, here's the, the cool part about doing life with other people is you see your kids kind of grow up together, right? So we went on vacation together because we were taking two toddlers to the beach. Yep. <laughs> So we went with our families down to Naples, and when we went to Naples, um, I'll be honest, uh, no one warned me about taking a toddler to the beach. Nobody. Not a single person. And I, I grew up going to the beach, but I grew up going to the Outer Banks, where my uncle had a four-by-four truck, we'd load up the truck with fishing poles, we had a cooler, so even if we stayed a few hours, Pastor Ken, we were comfortable. Right? We had a tarpaulin, like you wouldn't get sunburned. When I got married to my wife, um, she was a surfer and a paddleboarder. She, her version of going to the beach was taking a chair and a water bottle. If you look at me, I'm not built just for a chair and a water bottle at the beach all day. Okay? Um, so our version of beaching is very different. Now, Pastor Ken, I also didn't know that when you are married and have a toddler going to the beach, that you become a pack mule. All the men said, amen. I got somebody testifying in the back. Hold on. We're going to set free from that in Jesus' name. Even though we had a wagon, I still was loaded down with stuff. We had sand buckets and fruit snacks. We had blanket number one and blanket number two. And then we had a diaper bag. And then we had baby outfit number one. And then when he leaves, we got another baby outfit. Then we got swimmy diapers. And then we add another toddler to the mix. So you double all that by two, right? And um, I remember going to Naples and I'm, I'm literally have chairs and, and towels and I'm pulling this wagon. and I'm sweating by the time I even get there, right? And no one warned me that my son would lose his mind at the beach. I get there and I'm carrying all this stuff and my son, one and a half, just learning how to run, decides the best place to run on the beach is to the water. So I throw all my stuff down, and I'm running like a fool after my son because he's one and a half. How is he going to swim against the tide, right? As a good dad, I had to protect him in that moment and say, son, listen, it's our first trip to the beach. I don't want you to drown right now. Like, this is not going to look good for me, right? So I get him out of the water. I sit him down. 
kind of have a father like, hey, just stay here for a minute. Be cool, right? Wouldn't you know, Pastor Ken, he starts digging in the sand and finds someone's cigarette butt. One and a half, he thinks it's a fruit gummy. He starts to put in his mouth. I have to like dive like I'm diving to third base to get the cigarette butt out of his mouth. And the rest of the trip was not delightful for me because at every moment he picked up some sand and he would try to put it in his mouth. He would try to step on broken shells. Then he would try to eat the shells. Then he would go back to the water and all these different things. And no one warned me how terrifying this was as a parent. Take your kid to the beach. Now we're going to have a second one. Jesus, just kidding. You say, what does that have to do with today's sermon? Still figuring that out. I just wanted to tell you that story. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It has something to do with today's sermon. As I thought about that trip, I couldn't help but think about my son Xander. And it wasn't that he was doing anything wrong. He didn't know. He didn't know his boundaries. And as a good father that I'm trying to be in Jesus' name, I wanted to put up some guardrails for him to have the best experience there at the beach. I wanted to put up some guidelines and give some direction and kind of protect him in that moment so our beach trip would not end early, right? And as I was preparing for today's sermon, I couldn't help but hear the Holy Spirit say, you know that trip with Xander, how many times does that equate to your spiritual life? Where Alex, you're walking around this life and I have to put up certain guardrails for you to make sure that you live an abundant life. Alex, I have to protect you from certain things because not because you're doing anything wrong, but just because I'm a good father. And Lord kind of put that on my spirit today. And as we talk about the good shepherd, there's gonna be some aspects that we talk about today that will help refine our spiritual life. And it's not because you're doing anything wrong. It's just because he's a good father and he's a good shepherd. Amen? If you got your Bibles, turn with, turn with me to John chapter 10. I think we got the, the Sky Bible if, you're not, uh, if you don't have your Bible. Also, just a little quick note, if you're a parent or grandparent, you got a young person at home, um, this is one thing that I do with my kids. This is my second kid's Bible. I can't tell you the gender or the name. My wife would kill me on the way home. So anyway, this is baby Bridger number two's Bible. And I did the same thing with Xander. He's got his footprint at the beginning of the Bible. And when I do my devotions or when I travel around the nation and speak, I write my sermon notes in here. I write little prayers to him. I write little devotions to him. And it's not my Bible. It's his. And as a dad, I want to be intentional with raising my son to know the goodness of the Lord. Right? So parents, I want you to take note. I wonder what it would look like if all of us bought our, Bible, uh, bought our kids' Bibles and were intentional until they were 18 and then handed it off on their birthday saying, hey, this is what's happened over the last 18 years of your life and the faithfulness of God. So this is my second kids. I'm preaching out of, out of it for the first time today. So I just want to challenge you with that. Um, John chapter 10, here we go. Verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door or the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life 
abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. How powerful is that today? In the scripture of Jesus being the good shepherd. Today, I wanna give you three aspects or, or three points, three benefits in your life on the importance of Jesus being the good shepherd. Also, you have notes in your chair. I advise you to take notes on today's sermon because we don't know how the Lord is gonna speak to us today. I don't want you to forget about it on your way home, right? So point number one is this, the good shepherd provides direction. Everybody say direction. I don't know about you, but direction is often a point of contention in my marriage. Anybody with me? In a marriage, typically you have one person that's directionally challenged and one person that won't ask for directions. All the married people are giggling right now. I won't say which one I am or which one my wife is, but sometimes I think I'm both, right? Directions are a big part of life. And when we're talking about the sheep and the shepherd, the sheep will follow the shepherd, right? Now, I'll be honest, when Jesus is comparing sheep, he's talking about us. And I'll be honest, I kind of got a little offended because sheep are not the most brilliant animals. Sheep are actually quite dumb. They're not brilliant. They're not smart. They're often stubborn. How many know you have a hard life if you're dumb and stubborn, right? <laughs> you can be dumb or you can be stubborn. You're both. You're in a world full of trouble. And I learned something about sheep because obviously I'm not a shepherd. I don't have sheep at my home, but they say this about sheep that when you take them to a green pasture, brand new pasture, that sheep are so excited that they will eat all of the green grass in one sitting. There's no rations for tomorrow. There's no like waiting, taking a break in the meal. Nope. They'll eat all of the green grass at one sitting. Then they're out of food. And if the sheep doesn't have a shepherd, what the sheep will do to stay alive is eat each other's excrement. If you don't know what that means, Google it. I'm not going to describe that right now. And what will happen is if the sheep doesn't have the shepherd to give direction, they will eat each other's excrement to the point where all the sheep and the fold will die. And I think sometimes that parallels to our spiritual life too. If, if we were just given a green pasture to do whatever we wanted, how many know that oftentimes Pastor Alex, when he gives himself over to his fleshly desires, will run rampant. If we were in a moment where we were really honest with ourselves, if we were given that much space and that much room without direction, we would literally go wild in our fleshly desires. 
And then what will happen? When we get to the point where all we have is fleshly desire after fleshly desire with no direction, we then will die because we'll die in the midst of it. We'll die spiritually. That's why we need direction. And you say, well, Pastor Alex, how do we know about the direction of the shepherd? I'm glad that you asked. Let's look at a parallel scripture in Psalm 23. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this scripture from David because he's saying first that the Lord is my shepherd. There's some ownership. There's some intimacy in a relationship because it's his shepherd. David is also talking about this is the foundation of Jesus being the good shepherd. It's the understanding that God is everything that I need. David here is showing us the premise of understanding that God being the good shepherd starts with who God is rather than what God gives. Yes, God gives good gifts, but him being the good shepherd doesn't depend on his gifts. He's good because that's who he is. And here's the benefit of that. If he is my shepherd, I know I have access to him and all that he is. And that relationship dynamic, if he's the shepherd, that determines that I am the sheep. I'm not a co-shepherd. See, a sheep doesn't have to fight when the shepherd's around. A sheep doesn't have to find directions when the shepherd's leading, and the sheep doesn't need to fret or strive in their life because the sheep can just be the sheep when the shepherd's around. But I'll be honest, I think we run into a problem with this analogy in 2023. Not because of the complexity of the shepherd and sheep analogy, but because the aspect of being fully dependent or submitted to any other authority than ourselves. The world has taught us to do you or be the best version of you. You don't need to submit to anybody else. You do you, right? And many of us are not dependent enough on God and what he actually provides or the direction that he gives. That for us as sheep, sometimes we get impatient because we aren't rooted in the understanding of who God is and that he's actually good that we will often circumvent God's redemptive plan for our lives and try to find something better for our own lives and our own timetable. Let me ask you, church, if God is my shepherd, why would I want anything outside of who he is and what he provides? If he's really my shepherd, why would I want all the extra? Because he is everything that I need him to be. And once we get to that thought, it will change our prayers, it will change our wants, and it will change how we submit to God himself. Church, can I be vulnerable with you for a minute today? Is that okay? I got one yeah. It's okay if I'm vulnerable today? Okay. Oftentimes with my wife, we will ride around and hoping that Xander goes to sleep, right? And oftentimes what will happen is we'll just share about life and life stories. Now that I'm a parent, 
I just turned 30 this past year. I'm starting to have the conversations of how did I grow up? Anybody know what I'm talking about? What do I want to be different in my life that I'm passing on to my kids? What are some generational curses that I want to break and not pass on in my lineage? How can I rewrite the Bridger name differently? And I was preparing for this. I often give Grace all my notes or I kind of bounce ideas off of her and she'll like, oh yeah, that's a great, that's a great point. Ah, stay away from that one. That's not good. That's not good at all. And as I was talking, I was talking about submitting and submitting to the Lord and trying to work that out in my head. And we got to talking about our past. And if you don't know my story, I grew up with a disabled single mom. My parents got divorced when I was five, which meant I had to be the man of the house very quickly, right? I saw my dad every other weekend. And it's not because he didn't love me, but there was just some things that happened that needed some separation. And what I didn't realize is because the way I grew up, I didn't grow up with an authority figure except for my mom in the house. There was no man in my house. So what ended up happening is because of bitterness I had in that moment, I grew a hatred for submitting to authority. Just naturally. I was the man of the house. I don't need to submit to anyone else because I got it. Even at a young age, I didn't want to submit to my coaches or even school teachers, right? And it, it, it got to the point where I was in Bible college and my pastor had to sit down and talk to me about what it means to have spiritual authority or have authority in your life. And I cried in that moment in our car because I, I didn't realize that my personal life and not submitting to authority affected the way that I submitted to Jesus and his authority. I let, it, I let a past experience I had with submitting to authority affect how I submit my life to Jesus. And, and I think for some of us in the room, if we're honest, some of us have a submission problem. Some of us, if we can fully say and look in the inner work of our being, we know Jesus, we love Jesus, but we have not submitted our full life to Jesus. And I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about just giving our life to Jesus. I'm talking about every area of our lives. Meaning, God, I don't have to have control because you've got it. God, I know I provide for my family financially, but you're the ultimate provider. God, I know I try to keep peace in my household, but God, you're the prince of peace. I submit to that. And I think, church, we've done things on our, on our own for so long that we don't know what it's like to give Jesus full control over our lives. Or we've had a bad experience in our past with someone who's hurt us. We've had a situation come up. We've had an authority figure abuse their power. And now you won't trust Jesus to be the good shepherd because of what someone else has done to you. But can I set you free today? Can I give you something that would help release that over you? Is that there is freedom in Jesus. There is a peace that comes to submitting to Jesus that you will not find anywhere else. And I'll be honest, I still have not submitted fully to Jesus. I get it. I'm still working on some things as Pastor Alex. But the more we submit to Jesus, the more peace we'll have. The more grace we'll have. The more we'll walk in abundance in this thing called life. I want you to think for a minute, just in, in just in a moment, are we fully submitted to Jesus?
You personally, are you fully submitted to Jesus and his authority to being the good shepherd over your life? You say, Pastor Alex, I'm still working on the submission part, but how does he have the best direction for me? Let's go back to Psalm 23. It tells us where we're going in this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. That's the direction. God leads us to a place of green pastures and still waters. When we fully submit to God and his authority, he makes us lie down. A good shepherd knows the rhythm that the sheep was created for and knows when they have to lie down. A good shepherd knows the direction for his sheep. Now, green pastures and still waters represents the abundance, the comfort, and the place of safety. Can I encourage you today that when you trust Jesus and submit to Jesus, that he's gonna lead you to a place of abundance, that he's gonna lead you to a place of peace, he's gonna lead you to a place of safety? And you say, how do, how do I know about abundance? Why? Because John 10 says that Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life to the fullest or life more abundantly. I love the fact that he makes us lie down, even though we don't want to, right? And it's not out of force. It's out of his love for us. But church, let me remind you this, that God does not lead those who want to direct their own lives. We can't be co-shepherds with Jesus. He's the only good shepherd. We are the sheep. God does not lead those who want to direct their own lives. So point number one is the good shepherd provides direction. Everyone say direction. The good shepherd provides correction. Everybody say correction. Uh-oh. We're talking about correction in church. Uh-oh. I got a prop in typical Pastor Alex fashion. Coming out here looking like Gandalf. Got a staff. So David in Psalms 23, let's put Psalms 23 back up if we can. Says this, he leads me to the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Next verse. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Interesting that David uses this verbiage of staff and rod because that's the nature of shepherds. Shepherds typically have a staff and they also have a rod, which is my microphone. I'm not going to hit anybody with my rod because I'm not trying to get fired today, okay? They're trying to break this microphone. Typically, a shepherd has a rod in one hand. So when predators come against the sheep, what will happen is the, the shepherd will defend the sheep at all costs because he cares for them. He owns them. So he would defend against any predator that tries to come up and take one of the sheep. That's why it's important that you get a part of community. Because if a sheep is isolated on its own, it's easier to get eaten. That's why community is so important. But it also says this, that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Typically, when sheep would get too far out of the way, the shepherd would reach out, grab the sheep by the neck, and pull it back into the fold. Why? Because if he gets too far isolated, he's going to get gone. 
So the shepherd, in his good, loving nature, will wrap this hook around the sheep's neck. And I couldn't imagine it's comfortable, right? I wasn't going to demonstrate that for y'all today, but I couldn't imagine that's comfortable. A sheep is going its own way, and what the, what the good shepherd does, he puts this around their neck and brings them back into the fold. Why? Because we need guardrails in life. Sometimes we need correction in this thing called life. And I'll be honest, that godly correction should be comforting to us. David mentions in the Psalms, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Why? Because Lord, you provide protection for me and you also give me correction when I need it in my life. Godly correction in our life should comfort us. Why? Because the Lord loves us enough to actually correct us. God doesn't correct you out of spite, out of hate, out of your sinful nature. He corrects you because in order to get the life of abundance, sometimes change, sometimes correction is necessary. We need guardrails. And can I be honest with you today? Can I give you some perspective? That correction from the Lord is not rejection. Correction is redirection. Some of us, if we're left to our own devices, will end up in a ditch somewhere, right? I've been there one too many times and the Lord has had to take his staff and pull me out, even though it's painful, even though it's hurtful, even though there's some consequences, he's got to pull me back into the sheepfold. Now, I'll be honest, Pastor Alex is often stubborn like a sheep. And I had this picture of what a shepherd and his love is like. And you may remember this from Sunday school. Anybody grew up in Sunday school? I grew up in the era of Sunday school where we had felt boards. You know what I'm talking about? You just throw Goliath up there and he would just stick. But my grandma, Grandma Doris, she went to Enon Baptist Church in Chester. And uh, I remember going to her Sunday school class with all of her ladies. And I was like, what in God's name is this, right? I was like eight. And uh, my grandmother just told me to, Sit down and be quiet. So anyway, I remember a painting similar to this in her Sunday school room. Beautiful picture of Jesus. It just looks so peaceful, right? Jesus is a good shepherd. He's taking this lamb on his shoulders, leading beside still waters. Right, that's what it seems like. Can I break this picture down to you? When a sheep is stubborn, and gets to the point where it wanders off too many times. Do you know what happens? The shepherd will break the lamb's legs. And then the shepherd will pick the lamb up with broken legs, put it over his neck until the legs of the lamb heals. And then what happens? It says when the lamb's legs are fully healed, it will never leave the shepherd again. That's the point where correction brings comfort. Because I don't know about you, church, but there's been some places I've wandered away from God. There's been some moments I've wandered away, I've acted a fool, I've done my own thing, and he's had to break my legs and carry me back to the place of redemption in my life. Oh, y'all don't, don't know what I'm talking about? Okay. But I will be honest with you. I would rather the Lord break my legs than me lose my soul wandering off somewhere. 
I would rather the Lord bring a little bit of correction in my life than me end up in hell and not have a, a way to get out. Anybody with me today? How many are thankful that we have a God that cares about us enough that will reach down in the lowest place and bring a little bit of correction, not because of what we've done wrong, but because of how much he loves us. And for some of us, that correction process may even be redemptive because of how church leaders have even corrected you before. God doesn't correct you out of ill intent. He corrects you to redirect you back to the life of abundance in which you were called. But I'll be honest, if we, if we keep avoiding correction, we'll never live in the place that God intends us to be. That's where sanctification comes in. We are always working this thing out. We're not perfect yet. Now, I hear some of you say, well, I know so-and-so who hates correction, right? We all know people who hate correction. I hate correction, Right? But let me remind you today that correction is only unwanted when you love your mistake or current way of life too much. Correction is only unwanted when you love your mistake or current way of life more than the correction will take you. There's plenty of people who don't want correction in their lives because they aren't sick and tired of the way that their life is going until they hit a point of realization that their life isn't full of abundance or has purpose, they will continue to avoid correction and direction. So point number one is this, the good shepherd provides direction. Point number two is a good shepherd provides correction. And point number three is a good shepherd provides protection. Everybody say protection. Let's go back to John chapter 10. Tegan, if you'll come to make everything sound more spiritual. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also. They will also listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And he said, Pastor Alex, why does this all matter? This passage matters because Jesus is talking to strictly Jews in this moment. And he's talking about caring for the sheep. And the Jews in that moment would have thought just Jews, ethnically. But Jesus says to them that there are some other sheep that are not in the fold yet. What, why is that important? It's because he's talking about sheep globally. In that moment, Jesus is thinking of you and me in that moment to bring us into the sheepfold under one shepherd named Jesus. You say, why is that also important? Jesus continues and he talks about the wolf. And I'll be honest, I've heard this preach that God will protect you from the wolf of your circumstance in your life. That we have wolves all over us and God will protect you from life circumstances. But if I'm honest, I don't think that's the full context in which we need to preach this. I think there's a deeper meaning for this. The wolf in this text is a thing that brings death to the sheep. And for us, 
as the sheep, the ultimate curse to humanity is the enemy, its sin, and its death. That's the wolf. But here's the beauty of it. Jesus said that there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. And I thought to myself, okay, the rod and the staff, they comfort me. But, but Jesus isn't talking about beating the wolf off with a rod in this moment. And I'm like, God, what are you, how are you protecting us? And he tells us in John chapter 10, how I'm going to protect you as sheep is I'm going to lay down my life. And in laying up my life, I only have the authority to lay down my life and the authority to pick it up again. What is Jesus saying? He's foreshadowing the gospel message. That the wolf is the death and destruction and it's the enemy, it's the devil trying to take your life to an eternal place of darkness and hell. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to combat that because I'm going to come down. I'm going to lay my life down. I'm going to have the authority to resurrect. And now the wolf has no power over you because of what I've done. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the gospel message that a Savior would come down to us in our mess and in our muck and say, even though you're a wandering sheep, even though you don't have it all together, even though time and time again, I have to take my staff and pull you back in, that I'm the good shepherd, that I'm going to lay down my life because I'm the only one that has the authority to do so. And because I've raised it back up again, you're protected from death, hell, and the grave. That's the beauty of the gospel message. That's the protection we have. We don't have a savior that has to keep beating death, hell, and the grave over and over and over again. He's already done it. So church, when are we gonna start living that way? The wolf doesn't keep coming and coming and coming. Death is already defeated. That's the beauty of the gospel. That he's already completed it. He's died and resurrected. And now we have the opportunity to have life more abundantly because of what he's done. The good shepherd gives us direction. The good shepherd provides correction. The good shepherd provides protection. If you will, stand with me all over the room as we close.